promise of America is being squandered. How are we going to restore our nation back to a sensible, citizen-centric government? This is my Time for populism with a purpose. Welcome to Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Joyce is a businesswoman, not a politician, and she's here to offer pragmatic, possible, and post-partisan solutions for the 21st century. Now, your host for Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy. And good morning. The story goes that as Benjamin Franklin was leaving Constitution Hall in Philadelphia on the afternoon that the delegates to the Constitutional Convention voted to support the newly written Constitution, a bystander shouted out at him, Do we have a monarchy or a republic? And Franklin answered, according to the tale, A republic, if we can keep it. Neil Gorsuch has recently written a book by the same title, and it's a book about making and following law within the confines and the framework of the Constitution. And you know, a republic, if we can keep it, is what I worry about today. Can we keep it? No, it's already gone. We're, we're, we're wholly uh, beholden to China now. They, uh, they own us now. Like that, 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 that's been proven with, the, with this whole NBA thing. You follow, following this? Yes. Like an entire country went nuts over one tweet. That, that, that guy, Daryl Morey, is lucky to still have his job. Um, well, I think... I think we go back to a previous podcast about Syria in which I quoted um, retired Admiral William Graven, who's asking the question, are we still the good guys? Well, the fact that the NBA, you know, that, that, that I guess his name, Moray, um, still has his job is the answer is, yeah, we're still the good guys majority of Americans look at what's happening in Hong Kong and they say, we're with you. We're just but not going to say it, though. As a nation, as a, as a nation, as a, as a matter of diplomacy, for some reason, this administration has chosen not to say it. When well, Tiananmen it, Square happened, we said it. Look at what Apple did this week. Apple uh, disabled a, an, an app that the Hong Kong uh, protesters were using to uh, coordinate and locate where po- the police were going to be. I I know I read that, and I'm and I'm I think it 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 talks about um, or it points to the fact that um, China has been uh, very effective. Um, at managing their um, internal systems 
to the point where Apple has had on many occasions to capitulate in order to participate in their consumer market. And you're absolutely right that that is wrong. And that's an area where, um, you know, I believe um, President Trump's, um, you know, standing up to China on trade um, is a valuable beginning. But it doesn't alter the facts that, um, you know, about the, the, the republic, the republic if we can keep it. Number one, as American citizens, if we disagree with the NBA's dissembling, uh, and my Twitter feed has certainly been full of people who have disagreed with the NBA's dissembling, um, you have ways in which you can... Um, express yourself ways that the Chinese don't really have. Um, and, but the Chinese are, you know, if you, but it's a different subject. You know, if we want to talk about China, that's a, that's a different subject. Um, and it's one that I'm working on. I'm trying to persuade um, a particular author to come on the show and talk about, um, and talk about Chinese uh, the effectiveness of the Chinese strategy and how it differs from ours. Um, but whether or not um, individual Americans speak out, we, we do seem to still have First Amendment rights to speak out about um, pro or con uh, what's going on in Hong Kong and the Chinese um, uh, response to it. Remember that within China, they have this social credit system whereby the Chinese people would not feel free to agree with that um, NBA, sta- the initial NBA statement. But, you know, if you're unhappy in the United States about the way that the NBA has behaved in this situation or that Apple has behaved in this situation, you have a way to express yourself, actually a couple of ways. You can go, you can, you can contact Apple, you can go to their customer service functions and say, you know, um, I'm not going to buy another product from you because I disagree with this position. You can do the same thing with the NBA by not buying a ticket, not buying a LeBron James to name names, um, you know, labeled sweatshirt or T-shirt or ball or whatever piece of equipment so that you make it expensive for his sponsors to take an undemocratic. There is a difference. And I, I think maybe to get back on course with where I wanted to go with this podcast is to define the difference between a democracy and a republic. In a democracy, your vote is direct. In a republic, you vote for people to represent you. Within the the Constitution of the United States, we have three levels of representation. We have the House of Representatives, which is elected directly by the people who are governed. That's you and me. We have the Senate, which was intended to be elected until we passed an amendment 
uh, changing that in the early 20th century, senators were elected by state legislatures. The state legislature was elected by the people of the state. So they were looking for, in the Senate, more learned, more um, uh, established, um, older people with more experience who would be the cooling saucer for the emotional tides coming out of the House of Representatives. And the third branch of our government, the, ele- the, the president, was never intended to be elected, said our founding fathers, who feared the mob, the proletariat, the haute police, if you want to call them, whatever, you and me, um, they did not want us to directly. They didn't think we had the knowledge and the skills to directly elect the president. So they established a system where the states would elect electors. They would create a group of electors equal to their their constitutionally ordained representatives between House and Senate. And that that group of people, I was just about to use that wrong pronoun, men, but that is generally what it was. (coughs) I'm sorry. Um, That those men, (coughs) in parentheses, women, in parentheses, would then elect the most appropriate person to be the president. Presidents, the presidency, Article 2, was never intended to have the kind of power that it has today. It was intended, according to the constitutional forebears, to execute the laws passed by Congress. And just to emphasize that bracketed role for the executive, just just to... to um, <clears throat> demonstrate how the Founding Fathers wanted to bracket that. They said, one, Congress, by its, its will, can override a veto of a president. If that veto is overridden, that president has to enforce that law. It also gave to the Congress the power to impeach a president, but it left to Congress and the people the right to remove a representative who has run afoul of the law or the rules of the House or Senate um, can be censured or removed by the members of that body. But you cannot, imp- the president cannot impeach one of them, much as he would like to. It's The power was intended to be in the representative branches, not in the executive. And then you have to say, well, what's the responsibility of the president of the United States as commander in chief? Well, there we get into the complexities of the modern definition or the modern view of the presidency. You know, protect and defend is very different in 2019 than it was in 1787. This is as Vince's and my discussion about China uh, points out a very, very complicated world in which, uh, you know, 
we have been the one indispensable nation, but you know that's a something that we don't own. We have a lease on, and part of the discussion about whether we can maintain the republic is, you know, can we continue to be the indispensable nation, the good guys, the guys who set the example, and and that's where that NBA uh, kerfuffle becomes important. How dare we, the good guys, defend something which in our own nation and in a rules-based world in which Hong Kong made a deal with the Chinese for autonomy, how can we defend what the government of Hong Kong is doing to its people? We can't. And so the NBA, the first comment, um, and again, I, I'm sorry, I don't follow the Houston Rockets that closely, but the first comment of, of support for Hong Kong was the good guys. LeBron James saying, wait a minute, we can't interfere. That's the not-so-good guys that make you want to wonder about it's It's a republic if we can keep it. If people are willing to surrender their right to free speech, um, their right to self-determination, their belief in the fact that all men are created equal and that have the rights that our Constitution lays out in the preamble. That was a great LeBron impersonation, by the way. Oh, thank you. Striking. Thank you. I, I think I think you know um, he's a great basketball player, but he needs to go back to school. Maybe finish high school before he talks. Back to the subject at hand. We're getting off course here. That's my fault. That's my fault. Let's let's uh, right the ship here. My point in in starting to sit down and write some notes about what we've been talking about, not so much the Chinese part of it, but the <clears throat> republic, the formation of the republic and how those three branches of government are supposed to work. And if, if you want an idea for how I think the electoral college could work a whole lot better, uh, go to reimagineamerica.org and um, do a search on Electoral College, and you'll find a piece I wrote in 2017 that I think is just as apropos today as it was when I wrote it two years ago about how we could modernize the Electoral College and really make this a 50-state election in the process. Um, but again, that's not where I wanted to focus this. The preamble of the constitution says we the people of the united states in order to form a more perfect union i think that's still the most important clause um it then goes on to enumerate um the rights of you know life life liberty the pursuit the national defense common good etc that's but the important thing is we the people of the united states The core of the republic is we the people. But in order to form a more perfect union, union is another word for the ability to compromise and come together. 
and find common, common cause. And so I would argue that if we go back and we look at the organization of the Constitution and the preamble, that in 1960 or 1980 or even in 2000, Donald Trump's election would not have been possible. As Admiral William McRaven, the former commander of special operations, wrote in the New York Times uh, this past Thursday, after attending two military commemorative events recently, he wrote, and I quote, we were reminded that the greatest generation went to war because it believed that we were the good guys, that whatever, wherever there was oppression, tyranny, or despotism, America would be there. We would be there because freedom mattered. We would be there because the world needed us, and if not us, then who? And that's where LeBron James is so wrong in his deference to China. The United States of America, the republic, the flag, the republic for which it stands, we are the good guys or at least we used to be, the question becomes, is that still who we are? In 2016, at least a significant portion of the people of the United States of America had wearied of doing the hard work, of bearing the burden of being the indispensable nation of leading a post-World War II roles-based world, of putting country before self, by asking themselves the reverse of John F. Kennedy's famous statement, asking themselves not what their country could do for them, but rather what they could do for the country. They've stopped doing that. They've stopped asking. And they've started to demand that the country do for them rather than that they do for the country. And that risks the fundamentals of the Constitution, of the Republic, because it puts people in a situation in which they are beholden to that government. They become craven in front of that government, and thus they lose their independence from that government. And that's exactly what we're seeing in the redistribution plans that are put forth by Democrats like Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. And they top the Democratic 2020 presidential primary polls despite their age and their blatant hypocrisy. Their hypocrisy is equal only to that of their likely Republican uh, opposition candidate in 2020, and that's Donald Trump. So the question on this morning, after many weeks, utterly without precedent in American political history, seems to be, do we, you and me, the core center of American political thought, do we still care enough to fight to preserve the republic? because the oceans and the land masses that surrounded us are not in themselves the defense they were 
1787. And if you listen to the butter, not guns, Democratic primary debates, the answer to that question would be no. If you listen to those debates, you as a voter would be excused if you'd forgotten that 9-11 happened on United States soil less than 20 years ago. And you know what? That amnesia seems to be equal regardless of the voter's political persuasion. Because our current politics makes sticking to our commitments to our allies inconvenient at best. Among the GOP so-called intelligentsia, there has been a lot, in fact, a full ton of finger-pointing and a lot of hand-wringing about the president's misdeeds, about the president's blanket assertions of executive privilege and immunity from congressional oversight. Go back to my previous comments about where the power really lies. This intelligentsia seems unable to push back against an NRA veto over any rational gun safety legislation. We've torn families apart at the southern border, but we failed to make the very rational E-Verify solution work. It's a simple computer fix, guys. If we really wanted to do it, we would just say, not only does the number need to be valid, but the name on the document has to match the number. Do those two things, and you solve a very big part of our undocumented immigration problem without extortion, without walls, without cruelty. U.S. foreign aid is now being used to extort allies and our regional partners as well. Nepotism is on a scale never before seen in American politics. The flaunting of political norms, a cult-like following that is impervious to facts— Roe v. Wade is settled law, ladies and gentlemen. Not to mention that we have seen in the last couple of years a steady decline in abortions. And there are a couple of reasons for that. One, better prevention. And two, a quicker cure that doesn't require abortion. And yet, and yet... Even on this very radio network, you hear the cry that without a right-wing despot, we can't protect, uh, we we can't overturn Roe v. Wade. You're not going to overturn Roe v. Wade unless you overturn by revolution the American political system. I I, I think it's just one of those, to quote uh, Mulvaney this week, get over it. It's a matter of personal conscience. You're not going to eliminate it through the Supreme Court. If you want to eliminate it, try and pass a law. 
and the Supreme Court will overturn it. They do it on a regular basis. But an emergency declaration on the southern border that resulted in the theft and the misappropriation of $3 billion of military appropriations passed by Congress in order to build a medieval wall is clearly an a violation of Article One, which gives the power to Congress to make military appropriations. The EPA's decisions to no longer, by fiat, by executive order, protect the nation's waterways, by fiat, reversing a half century of clean air rules that have protected the health and clean air of two generations of California, by fiat, because the president's mad at us. The extra-legal globetrotting of an attorney general of the United States seeking to undermine his own Department of Justice, as well as the Central Intelligence Agency and the State Department of the very same government in which he serves. And to what end? To relitigate the 2016 election. The and, and, you know, when you what, – what Barr is doing in going back and, and, you know, trying to shake the trees and accuse Australian and Italian um, and English diplomats and um, intelligence officers of some form of malfeasance and the FBI of having cooked up a plot that, that exceeds anything Vince Flynn could ever have thought about um, – and I'm a big fan of the original Vince Flynn books. Um, but in any case, it, it, it damages our relationships. It damages our ability to collect in the intelligence we need to keep the American people safe. And to what end? An endless flow of executive orders that have been paraded as though they have the force of law. The Hurricane Sharpie Gate, the Ukraine. Yeah, Mulvaney said, yeah, we did it. Get over it. Get over it, even if the law of the land and the Constitution of the United States make it a crime to solicit election assistance from a foreign nation. Think about that for a moment. What we've done to our allies in Syria. With allies like us, ask the Kurds, who needs allies? Unless, of course, like Saudi Arabia, you got a lot of bucks to pay for it. And then there was the Doral uh, Trump property designated as the only place in the United States that could host a G7 meeting. If you've ever been to to Florida in June, you know how implausible that is. If you've never been to Florida in June, I got a I got a suggestion for you. Don't go. It's miserable. You have to pay me to go to Florida in June or July or August or September. Hey, you have to pay me to go to Florida anytime. But just stop and think about this. The president of the United States awarded himself a no bid, no fixed cost contract. He awarded that contract to himself. 
Congress put some laws, put some bills in the hopper trying to stop it, but they were cents of Congress. They didn't deal with dollars because we didn't know how to. And funny thing happened on the way to the to the farm. But that was finally the breaking point for the United States Senate. 48 hours after he announced Doral as the location, he had to reverse himself. And now they're saying, oh, maybe Camp Camp David. You know what? I can think of at least a half dozen beautiful, beautiful places where you could hold the G7 meeting, and it wouldn't be any more onerous for them to get there than it would be to get to Florida because you can use the polar route and come to the West Coast. You know, I mean, Yosemite would be beautiful, but they don't, it isn't big enough. They don't have the accommodations there. But it would certainly be a location, a destination G7. But you could go to Camp David. You could go to Hilton Head. But it took... It took something as outrageous as awarding a no-bid contract to himself for the, United, for the Republican in the United States Senate, the majority, to say, <clears throat> this one you cannot do. This one is too embarrassing to us, so we won't support you. None of this really would matter in the short run, except to make the job of really governing this country effectively more difficult for the next person. What worries me when we talk about the republic is what sort of precedent does this lawlessness set for future presidents? What if Elizabeth Warren were to become president? and use the same tactics to implement her wealth tax, which is probably unconstitutional under the 16th Amendment, but it would take years to figure that one out. She could break up all the large corporations, which is definitely extra constitutional and extra legal as well, but again, it would take years for the courts to figure that one out if she did it by executive order, and in the meantime, dum-da-dum-da-dum. She could eliminate private health insurance without looking at consumer wants, voter desire, or cost controls. And last but not least, based on the precedent we have set in this administration, a Warren administration, and it's not an implausible statement, ladies and gentlemen, could implement the Green New Deal by executive order leading to the destruction of the American economy. Those are the stakes. And what if she did bypass the constitutional amendment process to eliminate the Electoral College by, you know, the scheme about the majority of people in that state have to vote, you know, um, have to vote for the person who wins the popular vote? You would end the republic and establish a direct democracy which would result in the serfdom of the majority of Americans who do not live in New York, New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, where the largest concentration of votes come from, followed by Miami, 
the San Francisco Bay Area, Seattle, and Boston. I think that would be a very appealing thing to a President Warren. And you want to think how, how plausible or implausible that scenario is after what we have seen and what has passed for norms in the last three years? Recent polling finds that only 42% of our youngest voters, 18 to 30, only 42% of them think democracy is important. Stop and think about that one for a second. In fact, I will repeat what I just said. Recent polling has found that only 42% of voters 18 to 30 think democracy is important. But we don't have a democracy. We have a republic. Well, we have a democratic republic. And, and you see what I'm saying about the constitutional amendment process and the elect, elimination of the Electoral College. That would take us to a direct democracy similar to what happened in Greece and Rome, and we already know what the uh, impact of that was. What if you went to, with, to a proportional system with the Electoral College? Instead of winner-take-all, you make it proportional. That way, voters in California, like, it doesn't matter how I vote. It, it makes no difference how I vote in the presidential election because it's pretty much in the can for whoever the Democratic candidate is. I, I get that. So it Which, narrows it down to these, what, what eight or nine swing states? If you went to majority vote, if you, if you ignored the Electoral College— then, no, I'm not saying ignoring the Electoral College. I'm saying making the electoral votes proportional. Yeah, so that, not all, all whatever, all, all the, the electoral votes in California go straight to the to whoever, whoever wins. They well, just get the, yeah. you know, a percentage of them. That's exactly what I proposed in a blog in 2017 that anybody can read if they go to reimagineamerica.org is that if we did it by congressional district, for example, California has 53 representatives. So whoever won that congressional district would get that electoral vote. Okay, So that means that you would probably get 37 of California's 53 votes, and then you would tack on the two senators because you'd have to – the majority of – the electors in the state would determine where the votes of the Senate went in that in that plan. So you would have 39 to 14. Um, but then you see that candidate would then have to make up those 14 electoral votes that they didn't get in California in another state. So that means Texas now becomes in play for yeah, it means everybody's in play. Everybody's it mean, in it play. Means these, it these means these candidates have to go to California and actually hold rallies and do events rather than do just doing private they have fundraisers. To, they have to do they have to do everything in every state. Exactly, which is how it should be. It it would be a fifty state election because any single congressional district could make the difference. You and, know? And, it would, and, I, and it might and it might even, uh, you know, encourage younger candidates to emerge as well. Well, I think because it, I don't see Bernie Sanders 
doing a 50 state tour and I mean, he, he had a heart attack. He could barely survive doing you know what he is doing now. Well, I think that's one of the things that, you know, I'm I'm noodling around with the blog uh, side of Reimagine America to write a couple of pieces about, you know, there are a lot of lessons learned in this particular topic, you know, about the republic. There are a lot of lessons learned from this administration and the two previous that Congress should take to heart. I don't care if you're a Republican or a Democrat. If you believe in the Constitution, then Congress must, on a bipartisan, veto-proof basis, take back their power. If you want to keep the republic, that's what has to happen. We cannot let executive orders by one president be overturned by another. This is not a teeter-totter. This is the indispensable nation becoming dispensable. And who will then be the indispensable nation? Back to Vince. Our overlords, the Chinese. You have it. I think they're already running the show. No. We are still. The only thing keeping keeping the United States on top is is the military. That's it. Well, you know what? Once another, once China catches up to us militarily, it's it's going to be a whole new ball game. Well, again. We can't let that happen. If we believe in the republic, then we cannot let that happen. We've got to do what we need to do. We've got to make the sacrifices as McRaven, as General, uh, I'm sorry, Admiral McRaven, um, says, you know, if we're not the good guys, then, you know, what happens to the world order? And, And then Vince's point becomes important. But I think, I think it's you know it, it's a question of uh, we say forty two percent of our youngest voters don't think democracy is important. You want another statistic? Twenty five percent, less than twenty five percent of college graduates in this country can explain what is meant by checks and balances and separation of powers in the United States Constitution. We do that poor job of teaching civics in a nation which admits millions of immigrants every year, that's, that's a, a very, very big risk that we don't do a good job of, of reading um, and teaching and making it um, a living, breathing document um, that we understand that, that our children um, and ourselves are educated to understand what the Constitution is about. This is not a food fight, although it looks like one on television every day. So whether it's Trump or Warren who is inaugurated in 2021, that inauguration could be the last one unless we as a people are willing to fight for that republic that we pledge allegiance to on a regular basis. We need to recommit to the preamble of the United States Constitution. We, the people of the United States of America, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish the Constitution of the United States of America. 
especially because we are a land of immigrants. We are united by, a, by that ideal, not by a common history, language, or set of customs. And what makes Americans American is the belief in, shared, in a shared set of principles, equality of opportunity, freedom of thought and religion, free enterprise, country over self, respect for laws of the nation and the dignity of all people, and the ability to throw the bums out, which we don't use nearly frequently enough. Yeah, and they just, you know, they just and get you know, replaced by other bums, though. Wait a minute. I believe we could do better. I believe that's a responsibility of every citizen, is to make sure that we do do better, that we don't reelect people who are, like Duncan Hunter, who are under indictment, who are clearly criminals. But it is those set of ideals that have made us the shining beacon on the hill that underpin the importance of this republic and are the things that the Chinese do not have. Belief in our system of government is a force that's released, not a force that's impressed. And, you know, there is a reason that 42% of our youngest don't believe in democracy, because it ain't working, guys. It's not working. The republic is at risk. If you want to keep the republic, then we got to do a whole lot of throwing out the bums so that a new Congress can enact the reforms and pass the laws that restrain the inevitable impulse of our presidents to grab power. We got to give that power that is now manifest in our executive branch and give it back to the people's representatives and to the people of the United States of America, lest otherwise we lose the republic and we get to have social credits on our accounts just like the Chinese. Subscribe to the Reimagine America podcast at reimagineamerica.org and ricochet.com. Email Joyce at Joyce at Reimagine America Radio. Follow her on Twitter at Joyce Cordy, all one word. And you can follow the show at Reimagine Radio. This has been Reimagine America with Joyce Cordy. Take a minute now and go to www.reimagineamerica.org. Join the forum, donate, tell others, and sign up to receive future podcasts. That's reimagineamerica.org. And join us again next week for Reimagine America. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.